sustainable development issue that the very thing that keeps all of us alive, breathing, makes us sick as well. The main thing that concerns me about the link between air pollution and climate change is that we may not get enough people to recognize that those are the same thing. know what we need to do, there's tons of solutions out there that make economic sense and get the job done. You're listening to The Lid Is On with me, Connor Lennon. For several years, the World Health Organization has warned that practically all the air we breathe is polluted and that it's killing around 7 million people every year. Around 90% of those deaths are taking place in low and middle income countries. Here's Maria Neira, the Director of Public Health at the World Health Organization, sounding the alarm back in 2018 during the first global conference on air pollution and health. Pollution levels, they still remain at the dangerously high levels in many parts of the world. And uh, according to our new data, nine out of ten people, they are still breathing air that is containing very high levels of pollutants. So imagine those pollutants getting very deep into your lungs and your cardiovascular system and uh, causing the terrible figure today, uh, which is 7 million deaths, uh, premature deaths uh, every year. So no doubt that air pollution represents today not only the biggest environmental risk for health, but I will clearly say that this is a major, major challenge for public health at the moment and probably one of the biggest ones we are uh, uh, contemplating. The following year, the UN General Assembly adopted a resolution designating the 7th of September as the International Day of Clean Air for Blue Skies and stressed the urgent need to raise public awareness at all levels and to promote and facilitate actions to improve air quality. Four years on, the WHO figures look pretty much the same, except that their scientists have concluded that the impact of air pollution are kicking in at a much lower level than previously thought. So are we talking enough about air pollution? And crucially, should we be doing more to tackle it? To discuss this deadly issue, I spoke to two experts from the Climate and Clean Air Coalition, a grouping that's hosted by the UN Environment Programme. Martina Otto heads up the Secretariat from Paris, and Nathan Borgford-Parnell, the Coordinator of Science Affairs, is based in Neon, Switzerland. I started by asking Martina to explain what the coalition actually is and how it came about. The Climate and Clean Air Coalition is a partnership. Uh, it's convened by the UN Environment Programme, and it brings together about over 70 countries and over 70 NGO and IGO, um, so non-governmental organization and intergovernmental organization partners. We work at the nexus of climate and clean air, as the word says, uh, by reducing what we call short-lived climate pollutants. And uh, those are a special group of substances that uh, are highly polluting and are harming um, on the climate uh, side. And why have we picked those? Because we felt creating those synergies between those two key agendas was a very powerful way of leading the way, helping countries to achieve their larger sustainable development uh, objectives as well. And it helped countries to engage through whichever door they felt more comfortable with. 
as well. And that was important at the time when the Climate and Clean Air Coalition was created, and that was 10 years ago. Uh, so we've just had our 10-year anniversary. Uh, but at that time, it was really critical uh, to have those two entry points, and they're still very valid. I mean, 10 years doesn't seem very long, does it, really? I mean, I was surprised to learn that the first global conference on health and air pollution was in 2018, just four years ago. So do you think the international community has been slow to act on this problem? Well, there there is a, an international effort uh, with the Convention on Transboundary Air, long range <laughs> transboundary air pollution um, that uh, that goes back a little a little further. Um, but it's often been seen as uh, a very local and a very national um, problem. And uh, so there have been efforts uh, by a lot of countries and we've seen emissions going down uh, as well, but definitely not at the level that is needed. And I think that's where it comes from. Um, and there is more and more efforts uh, that are coming about as well in terms of regional cooperation, which is really what we need because it is a local problem. But since those pollutants are traveling in the air and often for long distances uh, as well, we can't solve this by isolated measures. We have to work. It's the, the air we share, and that means we also have to share the solutions. OK, well, let's bring in Nathan now as the science expert. Going back to that 2018 WHO conference, using it as a benchmark, we got that shocking figure that practically all of us are breathing polluted air. Now we're being told that the impact of pollutants is greater than we once thought. So... Is the situation worse or has the scientific research improved? I, well, it, as with all things in this space, particularly in the air pollution space, the, the question is it's complicated. But I think big picture, um, there's no, from a global perspective, air quality has not improved dramatically over the last decade. There are many places where there have been substantial improvements over the last few decades and, and, uh, and, and local examples that, are really, that really stand out. Mexico City, for example, in the 90s was one of the most polluted place on, places on earth. They've done a tremendous amount of work to clean that up. Beijing as well used to be, I mean, it, you know, again, one of the most polluted places on earth. They put really concerted effort into, into solving that problem. There are really discrete and, and incredible examples of how, you know, uh, a focused effort on air quality management and certainly a link to, to uh, you know, the uh, you know, linked synergies or, or, or issues like climate and, and, uh, and sustainable development have allowed uh, certain communities to improve their air quality dramatically. But if you look in the aggregate, uh, we haven't seen a sig uh, significant improvement in air quality. That having been said, and here, you know, here comes the complication, the, uh, you know, back, you know, just last year, the tagline was 90% of people live in uh, areas that don't meet WHO's air quality standards. And, and, the, and the message this year is that 99% of, of the human population does not. That's not because their air quality has changed. That's because the WHO, based on very rigorous and a multi-year process with stakeholders all over the world, assessed the, the absolute latest science on air quality impacts uh, and and promulgated new uh, ambient air quality guidelines last year. And those guidelines based on that new science uh, actually cut their their strictest level, particularly for fine particulate matter, which is you know one of the most important when it comes to human health impacts, it cut that level in half. So it went from uh, uh, 10 microns to, to five microns. Now, I, I think 
I know I'm going over long here. Brevity is not one of my weaknesses, and I do apologize for that. But um, it, it should be clear there is no level of air pollution exposure that does not come with health impacts. None, all the way down to to you know well below uh, five. Uh, but uh, the WHO and and their you know their team that put the, these guidelines together you know had to follow a very rigorous process and establish levels that were based on you know, latest scientific and medical evidence, uh, uh, levels of air quality that could be achieved where that, uh, the, that below a certain threshold, uh, the, the impacts were, were de minimis or, or hard to measure from a scientific basis. So that's where that change comes from. It's not from a precipitous increase, I would say, in, in uh, air pollution. And low and middle income countries are identified as being by far the areas where the problem is at its worst. So why? Again, complicated. One, um, nine, yeah. So ninety. So you know, another uh, tagline um, that we often use is that it's estimated about seven million people die prematurely every single year due to the exposure to to uh, indoor and outdoor air pollution. Ninety um, percent of the people that are suffering from, you know, who are dying prematurely and suffering for years or decades from um, from the diseases that eventually lead to those premature deaths are are in low and middle income countries. Uh, that's because of uh, particular vulnerabilities in the populations. Um, the the technologies they use for cooking, uh, uh, for heating their homes, uh, the the technologies that are used uh, to to transport themselves um, to to work uh, and to school. And the kind of energy that is used often in, in low and, and middle income countries. Um, also, there are factors related to, you know, the age of populations, uh, the very young and the very old are particularly vulnerable. People without um, means and access to health care um, are particularly vulnerable. So that all adds up to the burden being most heavily felt uh, in low and middle income countries. Martina, you're probably more at the sharp end of speaking to member states than Nathan. You mentioned that air pollution is a transboundary issue. Air pollution obviously doesn't respect borders. How would you evaluate the international collaboration today compared to previous years? Well, there has been recognition uh, from, but there's different processes actually uh, that have uh, taken shape and form. Um, we've helped with some of that uh, with our uh, different assessments that we've done um, that look at climate and, and, and clean air. Um, both impacts and solutions uh, by region. So we've done, we've just completed our third with the Africa assessment. And uh, that helped set up both communities on the scientific side, but also brought the issue um, to the table of, uh, of, um, of the governments. And uh, we've used those regional fora uh, to discuss the issues. And there is appetite to to start looking into that, uh, and we'll see where it takes us. Uh, but we are hopeful to see much more regional cooperation uh, on this, a bit modelled after what we know with the uh, convention uh, that exists already um, called LERTAP, so the Long Range Transboundary Air Pollution um, Convention. And and may, maybe just to 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 cap, but it's it's a real recognition. Um, that one alone cannot solve the, the problem. And uh, neighboring countries, um, uh, well, I mean, it's it's not it's no longer a, a blame game. It's really looking together um, at the solutions as as well, because it's recognized that, that the solution lies in in, in that cooperation uh, aspect as as well. And and maybe to come back to it, it's it's such a 
it's such a sustainable development issue that the very thing that keeps all of us alive, breathing, makes us sick as well. Um, we have just seen uh, the adoption of the right to a clean environment. So that has been recognized and that gives us all standing to actually claim <laughs> um, that this is being maintained or being being brought to to all of us. So I think uh, this is uh, this is a game changer that will help us uh, to see more of those policy measures coming along as well. Yes, the UN General Assembly adopted the resolution at the end of July that declares the access to a clean, healthy and sustainable environment is a universal human right. We cover this in depth on UN News. You described it as a game changer. Why do you think it's so important? Yeah, because it's an issue that affects all of us. Um, it's all around of us. It affects all of us, but it disproportionately affects those that are most vulnerable. And, uh, and Nathan told, told the story really well with all the granularity that is that is needed. But but just to to home in on two points, because it, it just that's why I insist so much on the sustainable development angles. Uh, if we look at the exposure that comes from um, household energy, the reliance on on wood and other solid fuels and not the access to modern energy services that is actually enshrined in the Sustainable Development Goal 7. Um, and, and it is a real development issue. So the more we, we, we delay making good and achieving SDG 7, the more we see people affected also with their health. And obviously it's not only health. I mean, we, we know there's a whole economic issue behind it as well. Um, there's a gender issue um, as well, looking at well collecting of firewood and, and so on. So there's a real story behind that. And, and the other one, the other example that I wanted to use is in cities, we, we've seen it. So if we say air pollution is bad in a given city, it's not equal for the entire city. It depends very much on neighborhoods as well, where certain industries are located, where where the wind blows from. And we, we know that in some in some cities, well, the rich neighborhoods are where the wind comes from. And then all the other, <laughs> I mean, all the pollution is actually getting to the places um, that are, are traditionally seen as the poorer neighborhoods. So there is a real issue about, um, uh, about environmental injustice. And that's why it's so important. Coming back to this resolution that has recognized the right to a clean environment. And we haven't even touched on climate change yet. Uh, some recent stories jumped out at me. I was astounded, for example, by this story I saw about um, in California, the dryness of the climate is releasing toxic fungus, which means people are getting sick. Uh, in France, during the height of tourist season, we had evacuations because of the air pollution caused by these huge wildfires in the Gironde. Uh, we've had stories about wildfires in Siberia. There are too many to mention. In fact, what do you think are the main things that are concerning when it comes to climate change and air pollution? It, well, uh, it's not maybe necessarily all that scientific, but the main thing that concerns me about uh, the link between air pollution and climate change is that uh, is is that we may not get enough people to recognize that those are the same thing. Uh, that we're they're not. There's no separation. Uh, between air pollution and climate change. Uh, I mean, on the margins, on the absolute margins, there may be some scenarios where they're, they're the Venn diagram of climate change and air pollution do, do not completely overlap. Um, but but we need to recognize that quite broadly and we need to start acting on it. That's really empowering. But it, it, to, to get to more directly to your point about, about wildfires, yes, wildfires are... Um, 
human driven. They're anthropogenic. Uh, they're, you know, pe some people often, you know, they, they, they try to act and, and, and communicate them as if they're natural occurrences, but the, the precipitous increase in, uh, in wildfires in recent years and the modeling that says that we're going to continue to see them increasing all over the world in places we couldn't have ever imagined them, um, you know, shows us that that climate change directly will impact uh, the burden of disease from air pollution from the wildfires. But but there's also a link, uh, you know, in terms of how air pollution impacts the, the, the climate. There are no air pollutants that do not impact the climate. None. There, I know we often, when we talk about climate change, we talk about CO2, we talk about greenhouse gases, the aerosols, the, the air pollutants all impact the climate. And when I say impact climate, I don't mean they all cause warming. Some of them cause cooling. But depending on where you live um, and, and depending on your particular climate, uh, those air pollutants, a cooling impact from local air pollutants could be just as detrimental to your well-being as, an in, as a warming impact from a greenhouse gas. And uh, uh, particularly if it shifts weather patterns uh, so that you're not seeing the same rainfall uh, and you're getting more wildfires because you have because you're suffering a drought because of uh, of uh, precipitation shifts due to the, the air pollution link. So the the, the links between um, air pollution, and climate change are legion and increasing. But. In the CCAC, we're all about butts and benefits. We're, we're about multiple benefits and, and, and seeing the positive in, in everything. The great benefit of the fact that these things are linked, that they come from the, the same sources, that they are driving each other, the very virtue of that fact is that we can manage this, these problems together as a combined issue to achieve synergistic results. We can combine the climate and the air quality in the public health communities push them towards solutions that achieve benefits for all of their objectives uh, because they are truly linked. And, and that really is sort of the empowering message of the Climate and Clean Air Coalition and why people have been so excited to be with us for the last decade. Well, that brings us back to the big picture, doesn't it? The, the interconnectedness of solutions. We've got COP27 coming up, Martina, the UN Climate Conference. It's taking place in Egypt. Do you think that air pollution is going to be a big part of the discussion? We will see air pollution um, creeping into uh, the agenda there uh, because uh, there is this increasing recognition. Um, there will be a number of events uh, around that for sure. Um, I mentioned already the Africa assessment. There's a number of assessments that are around there that highlight uh, the interaction that um, Nathan has just described, uh, looking at that it's the same sources, um, it's the same pollutants, um, there is a negative feedback loop uh, from one to the other. Um, so that means we have to look at it. And it is an item as compared to the climate, um, although now I think uh, the, the message has, got, has gotten home as well, in a sense that people can see uh, already the, the impacts. But for a long time, we were talking about, well, you can't touch it, you can't feel it. Um, and in air pollution, you do. So it's this interlinkage that will help us to get to the solutions that we need to see. And as uh, Nathan already hinted at, we know what to do. We know what we need to do. There's tons of solutions out there that make economic sense and that can get the job done. And uh, we just have to get them to scale. Uh, we have to put our political will uh, behind that. We need to line up all the actors, and that means government and the private sector as well. Um, we have, for example, been working with uh, some private sector companies looking at their value chains and how air pollution can be included in that, and so that they don't look only at 
the CO2 side of things, but that they actually start looking at the full picture. And uh, I think this will be a powerful uh, way to take uh, take things forward uh, as well. And if I say we know what to do, there's a number of key sectors uh, where we need to take action. And uh, that's, for example, on waste, uh, that we don't burn waste openly, uh, that we don't simply landfill um, so that the methane uh, escapes, but that we manage waste in a proper way. Um, and that's good sense because there is economic opportunities from circularity uh, as well. Maybe the issue of transport uh, as well. Uh, it's about how we design our cities in the very first place to reduce the need for transport. How do we make sure that you can walk and cycle safely um, and thereby reduce the need for the, the fossil fuel using options? Looking at alternative fuels as well uh, for the vehicles that we do need, investing in public transport. And the, the I, I can go on, there's a, a long list of things, um, but they're very concrete and they actually improve the way we live in our cities as well. That was Martina Otto, head of the Climate and Clean Air Coalition Secretariat, and Nathan Borgford-Parnell, who's the coordinator of science affairs at the coalition. We were talking ahead of the International Day of Clean Air for Blue Skies, which is on Wednesday, the 7th of September. You've been listening to The Lid Is On, the flagship news podcast from the United Nations. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.